TBRI. 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 Trust-based relational intervention. TBRI is an attachment-based trauma-informed intervention that is designed to meet the complex needs of vulnerable children. TBRI uses empowering principles to address physical needs, connecting principles for attachment needs, and correcting principles to disarm fear-based behaviors. While TBRI is based on years of attachment, sensory processing, and neuroscience research, the heartbeat of TBRI is connection. Hello, and welcome back to the TBRI podcast. You're listening to Season 5, Episode 5. On this show, we talk all about trust-based relational intervention, or TBRI. We talk about different elements of the model itself, and also about how TBRI is applied in various systems of care and practice. Today's episode is one family's story of TBRI application in their home. Corey and Lori Pepitone are parents to four forever kids who are now young adults, two through birth and two through adoption, and they have also had the privilege of fostering another six or so. Corey is student in campus coordinating pastor, while Lori is children's and family pastor for Rabbit Creek Church in Anchorage, Alaska, where they've been for the last 13 years. They learned about TBRI during training to begin their Alaskan foster parenting journey, and today they're sharing what they've learned along the way. Friends, this episode is so encouraging. Lori and Corey bring so much wisdom and authenticity to their approach, and their stories they share are so relatable for parents. Whether you are a professional serving families or a parent in the trenches, this episode has something for you. Please enjoy this conversation with Lori and Corey Pepitone. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Lori and Corey. How are you guys today? Thank you. We're do- I'm doing pretty well. Really good. It's good to be here. Good. Well, I'm grateful. I should go ahead and confess to our uh, listeners that um, I I was in Alaska. Darren and I were in Alaska doing some training, and you guys came in for a panel during lunch and didn't know who had been training all morning. And then I heard you guys, and I I literally turned around and looked at Darren, and I said, I want to have them on the podcast. And so then I turned back around and I said, I'm going to ask a question just to see how this goes and uh, <laughs> see, see if it'll all work out okay. And uh, I, I felt like you were on to me at that moment. And then when we caught up later, you were like, we knew something was up. Um, <laughs> I very important so, question. <laughs> so, I was like, why um, is she asking me about bedtime? Okay. <laughs> What's this lady doing? I was testing you. Um, so well done. I um, really, really enjoyed. That's the first time it's ever happened where I was just like out of the blue. We have to interview these people because I so appreciated um, all the things you had to share. So, uh, Laurie, why don't you start? Can you just tell us a little bit about you and your family? And you can share as much about Corey as, as he would appreciate or or we can let him inter- self-introduce and kind of how you guys landed on TBRI with TBRI. Okay. Well, we are uh, pastors in Alaska at Rabbit Creek Church. I get to be our children and families pastor. Mm-hmm. Corey is our, what is your official title, babe? Uh, this week, uh, pastor of student ministries and campus coordinations. Yeah. Ugh. So between the two of us, we have infants through college students, plus 
all of the in-between and the parents and the adults and everything because it's family's pastor. Uh, mm-hmm. We learned about TBRI when, oh gosh, when did we say that? About 2018, maybe before that, when yeah, we had so. moved up to Alaska and we were beginning our foster care journey. Uh, we did, we have two birth children uh, and our sons are by birth and our daughters are by adoption. And when we were going through that process, when we lived in Texas, uh, we felt God's call to foster care, but not yet. And so after we got to Alaska and we'd been here several years, we actually did, uh, we hosted exchange students for three years and then it was like, okay, now it's time. And we started our foster care training and things like that. And during that training, uh, our, our trainer, Brenda Ursel shared, she was also going to be doing a TBRI class. And we're like, oh, what is that? And so we went to those classes and life changed. I gotcha. So was, was it a shift for you guys? Corey, was it a shift in parenting for you guys? Was it kind of it what you've been doing all along? Um, it, in some ways, it, it seemed like the most obvious thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. in other ways, it was earth-shatteringly, hilariously different. Uh, right. I think our kids probably would tell you exactly the same thing. Mm. Um, it, it seemed like a little bit more mindful approach to some of the things that we had done well. Uh, okay. And then... It answered, it answered questions in terms of how we could connect with our kids who were becoming teenagers at about the time that they were becoming teenagers. And I think it probably really I think affected they were about seven that to twelve teenager. years old. Is that about yeah. how old they were? Seven to twelve ish. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. so. The, oh, the oldest is. 21 now so I think and I think it was about seven yeah so I mean we're like early teenage and then working their way down so like in that Mm -hmm. really important transition phase I think it probably Mm -hmm. improved communication Um, so yeah it was it was a sea change in sort of the way our family worked um, without being a wild transition in methodology Mm. well isn't that interesting so for the first several years of our kids' lives, till Aubrey was, mm, well, until we moved to Alaska, I was a stay-at-home mom. And mm-hmm. so these are tools that I tell parents all the time. I wish I had these tools when they were little mm-hmm. uh, because yeah, right I, I, my toolbox was pretty small. Uh, mm-hmm. My parents', my parents uh, disciplinary methods were different from Corey's parents' disciplinary methods. And, and so, and we lived in the South. And uh, so I... I was just kind of a, this is how we roll. Listen, mm-hmm. obey, let's move. And right. uh, so this was, it was different, but it was good different. Right, right. So was it a uh, hard transition? For me personally, once I bought into it, which confessional took a hot minute, but once I once I did and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this, I didn't realize how significant it was it was going to be for me to actually make it happen. Right. Like it wasn't like, I was like, I'm going to do TBRI. And then I did it the next day. It was, it, it turned out to be like a lot of internal wrestling for me. Was, was it a hard transition? Was it, did it feel natural? Did you have to do some like reflection on, like you said, you even acknowledged, I love that you said like you were raised with a different parenting style than Corey was. And, and like, I mean, that's, that's a complexity in and of itself to try to bring those things together. So I'm curious, what, was it a challenge to try to kind of slowly flip the switch? Well, it happened for our family 
as we transitioned into our back into foster care. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of in, it happened in the midst of massive other transition. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So it's sort of difficult to tease apart, like make no mistake that period of life was chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't know that I can tease those apart. If you compare to when the girls first moved in, because they were two and a half and five, we didn't adopt babies. So right. uh, we had to make that shift between parenting the way we parented our boys to wait. Now there are rules there. Are, we mm-hmm. can't parent these girls the way that we've parented our boys. And I wish, I guess that's why I wish as much as I do, we'd had these tools earlier because it would have mm-hmm. saved some frustration of, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't have right. another tool here. Um, right. And so it may have even been that we felt relieved to go, Oh, there are really good other ways. And man, I wish I'd known this even when the boys were little, because that would have been like, I could see how this would have saved a lot of headaches. I mean, just mm-hmm. the concepts of giving choice. It's not hard to give choice. Right. It was harder for me to to learn the concept of I'm not I'm still the adult. I'm the one giving right. the choices. I'm not losing right. power here. Right. So just give them some choice and we can solve. We can we can not even encounter the battle. Yeah. Because they feel yeah, like they're in control. That's so good. And I think that's like kind of what I was curious about because that it's that mind shift of, for me, of like choices, giving a choice isn't a hard thing to do. It's me in the moment trying to stay out of a power control, but you know, power struggle and, and losing control and, and me doing some of that, like just self-awareness and being mindful work to say, like, you didn't just give up control when you gave a choice, you actually empowered the kid to do a good thing and you're still the boss, um, which was such a priority from my upbringing, which is less of a priority now when we were first starting was, was coming up with two good choices on the fly. Uh, like yeah. that was the hardest thing of, uh, one yeah. can't be an extreme. Oh no. What right. do I do? Right. Yeah. You actually can't, and you can't use it as a manipulation to get them to do what you want. So I can't be like, mm-hmm. you can take out the trash or I'm going to take your phone. Right. That, that right. That's actually not what we're choices are designed right. to be, right. which, which right. I was good at that. Like I was like, I do give choices. Watch this. <laughs> the trash is about to go out. Right. Cause they don't, you know, so it, I, I had the same struggle of like in the, in the moment, the heat of the mm-hmm. moment per se, like coming up with two good choices was tricky. It's funny that probably the, the double edged sword of having a young 20 somethings in our house now, while we're in the process of, of using TBRI with younger kids in the house is his perspective on that. And more than occasionally we will respond to something and you watch the 20 something go, um, where was that when I was that age? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. and that in addition to being funny and maybe more than a little convicting probably tells you how our kids perceive that change because they see it as a very positive change in sure, the way that we work. Sure. Yeah, it's fascinating, right? My girls call it pre-purvis and post-purvis. Okay, it's like they're like, we remember yes. pre-purvis. That was not cool. It's not a phrase we need to teach my twenty-one-year-old. No, you don't want to do that. It comes back to you all the time. Um, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, my oldest was like, "Remember pre-purvis?" And I'm like, "Are we still here? Like, it's been like twelve years." <laughs> like, um, so when you when you think back to like 
what you kind of the smallest thing, like we encourage people just start small. Like, so, so you're talking about choices or, um, you know, I, I think we talked about bedtime being a thing of like, we're, we're shutting this down because for me, it's like, I can't do TBRI after about 8.30 PM because mm-hmm. I don't have it, the mindfulness, it, it, it's gone. Um, it has left the building. And, um, but as you think about like when you were first trying out new things, I talked to somebody earlier who was like, we just tried to be playful at bedtime, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that was like, we tried to take out the sting of bedtime with some playfulness and, and, and connection right before bedtime. Was there anything that you intentionally changed kind of as you started out saying like, this is one thing I know I want to do differently. And if so, how did you do it? So I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is walking in the house after completing the first TBRI training and we'd been home maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. And our daughter walked down the stairs and she and I have had a go round forever. One of my personal, I guess, triggers is eye rolling and maybe there's going to be a day when I'm delivered from eye rolling being the worst thing on the planet, but we're not there yet. (laughs) No. Um, and she walked down the stairs and I have no idea what it was going to be, but I had the presence of mind to say, Hey, so like, I think I'm going to annoy you. And we just finished this training. Would you try something with me? Would you just roll your eyes at me before we start? And she looked at me like I had sprouted a second head, like immediately to the right <laughs> of my first one and went, I'm sorry, what? And I said, just roll your eyes before we start. And then she did. And then we both laughed about it. And then I asked her the annoying thing and it worked and she left the room and like Lori and I had this moment of just staring at each other going, Oh my gosh, this is Mm -hmm. a thing. Um, It was, it was powerful. The whole, the whole realization that so much changes if as the parent, I approach conflict mindfully, know it's coming and set my kids up to succeed is is was probably one of the biggest earth shattering sort of changes for me. Oh my gosh. I, I just love that story. It just is, you know, I mean, I think it's funny because like the, the kids still got to roll her eyes, right? Like, Oh, she did. But, but like in, in some fashion you made that playful and fun and let's get it out of the way and I'm not going to respond and you're going to do the thing. and, And here we go. And Lori, what was that experience like for you just observing it? Uh, it was funny. And I do think, uh, cause when Brenda teaches that in class, she's like, Oh, come on, you can do better. Do it bigger, do it, whatever. And I want to say he did. He's like, Oh, come on, you can do better. Let's do it together. And so like totally engaged with her mm-hmm. in it until it, it wasn't a thing anymore. And then they were both laughing and he gives the instruction and it was probably like take the garbage out. I don't know what it was, but she just did it because they were connected and, diffused the whole situation and it was just kind of like wow that's that's incredible and that was in the first few minutes in that incredible yeah the very first few minutes of your tbri journey i always think it's helpful when it starts off with a success like that because sometimes like (laughs) right you like go after it Uh, he didn't tell you 10 minutes later we totally botched it with another kid no I'm kidding, cool. but that is how life goes. <laughs> it is. It is. Some people are like, it didn't work the first time, so I'm done. No, like you right. can't quit. Yeah. It's too soon. It's too soon. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times I I like to 
to say, and I truly believe that TBRI is truly for adults. Like it's actually about changing our, our approach. And I think you just gave the perfect example of that, of like, just literally by just like this little minor change in the way you addressed her and you approached her and your playfulness, which is, it's not little and it's minor. It takes a lot of mindfulness to do that and a lot of self-awareness, but um, you change the entire, I mean, if, if that, it reminds me of, of, you know, kids I've worked with and, and that ends up in an explosion, right? Potentially with the right. eye roll and I'm right. mad and she's mad and it's a whole thing. And um, just the ability to diffuse that with some fun and playfulness and proactive thought and, and being willing to be the adult for me that doesn't have to come in and demand things because that was what I knew, but the adult yeah. that can come in and collaborate with the kids to get the things done that we need to get done, even the not fun things, right? Nobody likes to take out the trash, but we have to do it, right? And so I just think it's such a great story. So when you guys were on the panel, um, Corey, you told a story about uh, one of the kiddos from in your home that you got called to the school um, or I don't know who gets the call in, you, in y'all's home, but somebody got a call and, and I think, Corey, you ended up at the school. Yes. Did I, do I have this right? Yes. Would you mind so, sharing that story? Because I think that, um, well, you just share it. I don't, I don't need to set it up. It's so good. Sure. So to answer your question, very often Lori gets those calls. Uh, okay. And when they land at that level, they usually get routed to me. Um, okay. Because this was this was a moment with a young wow. lady who... So we do therapeutic foster care, um, okay. and generally, if a child ends up at our house, um, they are working through the ordinary battles of foster care, but also some additional things. Okay. Um, uh, and in the case of this young lady, she had been a part of the foster care system for a long time. Uh, she was absolutely a child from a very painful place, um, and we we were having rough days at a at a difficult school um she had had some pretty painful things happen to her at the hands of some other students and she was in the process of doing her dead level best to communicate to the administration at her school that she was in personal crisis um mm. it is probably not best that she chose to communicate that by throwing soup cans at the principal uh, which in eighth grade is apparently not cool. Um, <laughs> they don't like that. <laughs> nothing get upset about that really fast. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I was called to the school. And when I got to the school, uh, there were at least three, maybe four uh, full grown men who were in the process of boxing her into an alcove. Um, they were not, physically accosting her in any way. Um, it, we should be quick to say that they were probably very much following protocol on their end. Um, but there were three guys in excess of six foot tall standing with their arms crossed, boxing her into an alcove that was probably 10 by 15 with no windows and no doors. Um, I, I assume it was put together for this kind of situation. Mm. Um, and as I rounded the corner she was flinging herself from one end of that alcove to the other and bouncing off of these guys. And they were doing their dead level oh, best to maintain their footing and not give way and keep her boxed into that spot. Um, and the, the vocabulary was impressive. The volume was impressive. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I sort of gathered my bearings for a minute and just walked up to one of the guys in the line and said, hey, I'm her dad, um, excuse me. And he looked at me like, are you crazy? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand, excuse me. And I stepped around him and just sat down in the middle of the room. Um, wow. And she backed up and looked at me like, what, what are you doing? Right. Um, and she backed up and sort of cornered herself and backed up into the corner for a minute and then looked at me and I just kind of made eye contact with her for a minute and looked away, looked back at her for a minute. And when she was willing to look at me for a minute, I just patted the floor next to me. And mm. um, she came over and sort of didn't really sit. She just kind of dropped to her knees beside me and ducked her head and went, I know, I know, what do I need? Um, <laughs> Goodness. And, and we were rolling. Um, we, we had a question that we could provide some answers to, to be able to address like, okay, um, what, what's going on? Like, yeah, she said, like, I need out. I need out of here. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that seems reasonable. Like, I'm, I'm in here with you, and I feel stuck too. Mm -hmm. And let's see what we need to do with these guys to get you out of this spot. What are the steps that we need to take? And then once we had the conversation started, um, we, in relatively short order, we were out of that spot and we were sitting at a table and we were talking about where do we need to go from here. And everybody in the room wanted me to have her somewhere other than a school where she could calm down and we could make safe steps. But, but we needed a break in the situation. And, yeah. and just that needs-based, what do you need, was the thing that, that cracked it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And was there was there a point when you like asked those six foot oh, plus yeah, yeah. to take like take the, a knee or... and that was that was the moment where once she sat down beside me we were able to look at those guys once they realized she wasn't going to try and storm the building um, yeah and 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 as it turns out later one of those guys was actually a counselor that oh. had worked on staff at the school and so he was quick to do so once we did say hey guys like this is she's sitting and y'all are big are you guys can we take a knee um mm. and they did um they they pretty quickly were willing to once they realized she wasn't going to try and tackle them again um right, yeah. they were willing to bring their posture down a little bit which which brought the temperature down in the room and it was amazing um you know for a young lady to have been in as difficult a situation as she was it's always been remarkable to me that the more hurting place these kids come from, the more perceptive they are to when things begin to change. And in that moment, like, like she saw that change really quickly as things are trying to change, things are trying to help. And to be clear, still fragile at that point going forward. But yeah, you're, you're exactly right. That was, a, that was a change they were willing to take. That changed the temperature of the room. Then the conversation could move forward. Well, and I, I think it's fascinating because it comes back to the, like, the adults being so mindful about what the child needs. And I think, like, my my personality is not always going to be, even with a kid that I know and I'm in relationship with, to walk into that scenario and sit on the floor, right? And I think that, like, for me, <laughs> I, I would be the one, like, I might get the call and then send the, the other person because, for me, that would be hard. Um, 
but it's so valuable. And I don't, I don't know about you guys, but when I get it like that, it, I can feel it. Like I can literally feel when like I've, I've made that right choice. And then to see, you know, these three other guys, like, I mean, that's gotta be an, a pretty intense experience for them mm-hmm. to have this 13, 14 year old ping ponging literally physically off of them. And, and them like, I mean, that comes with a lot for adults and in the school environment and, and threat and, and that they were willing to even, um, take, take a cue from you and, and willing to accept your, your ask, I think is, is remarkable because again, if you don't know it, then that's, that's a moment of vulnerability to say, like, I've literally been security guarding the situation and now you want me to take a knee, right? Like that, oh, yeah. that's a moment of, of willingness. That's, that's just fascinating. And, um, I mean, just kudos to, to you for, for seeing her vulnerability. And I, I like that you said she knows there's a question about needs coming, right? This is the next yeah. thing we're going to talk about is what do you need? And, but also knowing you can't go in there screaming and yelling to get that out of her because you're just going to drive her further into that fear response. So I just think that story is so impressive and, and the way it played out and, and that you, you end up at the table talking and getting a break and all of those things. So, Laurie, I threw to you on the panel the bedtime question. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I think you looked at me just like that on the panel too, like, huh, what's up? <laughs> but, but I think that, um, you know, many, many parents out there would say bedtime is a rough, rough time of day. So can you kind of walk us through how you guys do manage that time of day? What is so it? for us, uh, we are definitely some of those people that uh, TBRI becomes non-functioning after about 8.30, for sure mm-hmm. after 9. So it is safest mm-hmm. for everyone in the house if they're in bed. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so so for us, uh, the children that we've had, transitions are a big thing. And so mm-hmm. transition warnings, what's coming, um, structure and routine, all of that. It's just you start well in advance. And when you have anywhere from four to six children in the house and everybody's doing bedtime between six and nine o'clock, there has to be some structure and routine in there. And so, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it's, it starts with the, Hey, you know, you have 30 minutes, uh, before whatever, do you want to watch a show and then take a shower or do you want to take a shower and then watch a show so you don't have to get back up again? Um, and, and we always go youngest to oldest. And so, mm-hmm. We, we just kind of get in there and we start giving choice when we can, but they know this is how we're going to roll and, and give choice as often as we can and go with it. But we, we go through all the steps, giving warnings of timing and, oh, you've been watching your show for X amount of time. You know, just remember, oh, it's going to be shower in five minutes or whatever, so that they're counting it down. We love visual timers at our house. Uh mm-hmm. Because also, as much as we can put them in charge of, do you want to set your timer so that you know, or do you want me to come get you kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just walking through that time. For our, for our children, but for our foster children, um, tucking in has always been a thing. Even, even for this young woman that, that Corey was mentioning, who was 14, that uh, we, we have always sung and prayed with them which was really funny because I was talking with our, with our forever youngest the other day. And she's like, yeah, that stopped for me at like X age. And I'm like, that's really interesting. And, and I'm like, do you want it to happen? She's like, I'm good. 
but it's, I guess just for us in innately, we knew these children didn't get that. And right. that's that, that loving nurturing that, that they kind of missed out. And so it didn't feel weird and they didn't treat it like it was weird. Uh, so, so that's always just been kind of part of that nighttime routine and then learning the children about whether they fall asleep quickly or they need an audio book and whether that audio book is going to play. Generally it plays out loud. Corey's a huge tech guy. So sometimes he has, what are they? Speaker bulbs or something like that, that he can yeah, run from another room and just, yeah, set, set the timer <laughs> on so that it'll go off and things like that. But which also helps their comprehension and things like that but gives them something else to think about while they're going to sleep. So we just, we kind of make it chill, but there's lots of warnings and lots of transitions and everybody knows what's expected. Everybody knows what's happening and it's not fast. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love the idea of, um, you know, again, for me, it would be a shift in parenting to be like, do you want to listen to an audio book while you go to sleep because it was kind of a lights out scenario was what I knew. Um, mm -hmm. Right. And that happened at a certain time and you didn't need water. Or you didn't need anything else. And, but I, I love that. Like, it almost sounds like as you're walking them very, very slowly through this transition to, to what, you know, our, our kids who have experienced trauma, nighttime is scary and bedtime right. is scary. And so you're, you're taking such a nice slow approach and, and they know what's coming up and they have a lot of voice and choice in it. But then, then you you actually end it with a high level of connection, the song and the prayer, and then they still get a little bit more choice after that to say, you know, I want music or I want the audiobook or right, right, like whatever. And and I just I think it just sounds like taking the heat out of what could be a really hot moment. And mm -hmm. and for me the huge connection was that that I know that time of day is hard for me. And and you know, parenting for me and I believe for you guys is, is the most important job that I have. And I like to go to bed feeling like we ended well, or we did the day well. And, mm -hmm. and I can't do that if we're still up at 10 o'clock at night, because I I'm too, t my brain is likes the early mornings, right? Like, so that's a hard time. So I just love how you've built in so many positive experiences for, for the kids and for yourselves to be able to like nine o'clock, everybody's done. We, you know, whatever you guys have, you know, time or, mm -hmm. you know, however you guys unwind and, and then it's like the, we did it, you know, cause sometimes right. that's how it feels at the end of a day is like, we actually did it. The other thing that I try to link, because I know for some kids, this is an issue. It actually hasn't been an issue for any of the ones that we've had meds at night. If, if kids don't want to do meds, but we always link snack and med time and meds mm -hmm. time. So, you know, what do you want for snack, which is also a, a skill teaching time of let's think about what you ate today. What, what are some mm. good snack choices for tonight, but also, Hey, and let's go ahead and get the meds. And so you have a, you have a choice about your snack. You don't have a choice with the meds, but mm -hmm. you're going to come to me because you want snack. Right. It's the, it's, it's the, the nurture and structure, right? We get to do this. We have to do this. We'll do this together either way. It's, it's just brilliant. Okay, if you guys were to give, um, you know, a parent that just finished their their first round of training and they might be a little skeptical, one place to start, um, and we'll, Lori, we'll start with you. What, what would you suggest they they just tried this thing? Choices. 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 Two good choices. It's, yeah. I think I yeah. think that that just changes the entire atmosphere. Love that. How about you, Corey? 
I think mine would probably be almost a, a little bit more global encouragement. The, the really powerful thing coming out of TBRI for me was the moment in training where they said that the power of getting these experiences right is so effective that even as a parent, if you blow it half the time and you only get this right half the time, that this still makes the connections, this still builds the changes. Um, because when walking out, I felt like I had learned so many new tools about so many things that it was overwhelming. And then the realization that done not even well, but, but the, the power of these tools in building connection actually builds the connection with the kids. This is not about um, using the right ratchet on the right widget. It's about all of these things build connection and the connection makes the changes. Mm -hmm. And that enough consistency to try all the time, but to get this right some of the time builds the connection and that's what's actually gonna bring the change. It's not actually about my ability as a parent to perfectly dot these I's and perfectly cross these T's. Mm -hmm. um, it's the connection that's going to make the changes. And I've seen that. That's powerful. You guys, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It has been just an absolute pleasure getting to know you guys a little bit and, and really to learn from you. So we are so grateful that for uh, your shared wisdom and time. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. The TBRI podcast is produced by the Karen Purpose Institute of Child Development at TCU. To learn more about TBRI and the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit child.tcu.edu slash podcast.